Amen. All right, well, we're there in Job chapter number 42. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Job, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, tonight, we are ending the book of Job. 42 chapters uh, we spent in Job. And uh, I I wish I had a a gold clock I could give to all of you for sticking with us. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, For staying with us and sticking with us through the book of uh, Job. And we, we started this book on uh, August 12th, Wednesday, August 12, 2020. And of course, that's over a year ago. It's 42 chapters, which is close to a year. But when you have a book this long, you take a lot of breaks, you know, on, on Wednesday nights and you skip and do different things. And of course, we've been, uh, we've learned a lot. I hope you've learned a lot. And I hope you've uh, been with us and, and stood with us as we have uh, gone through the book of Job. And in this final chapter, not very long, 17 verses, uh, what we see is we see Job repent and we see him be uh, restored. And really the book ends on this very high note. And I'd like you to notice in verse 12, Job chapter 42 and verse 12, the Bible says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his Beginning. Now, if you remember when we started the book of Job, we started the book of Job with this idea that Job was a very blessed man. He was highly blessed of the Lord financially and with his family, with his health, just how he was respected and all of those things. But the Bible says that the Lord blessed his latter end more than his beginning. That's how the book uh, ends on that high note. And I'd like you to notice, in fact, keep your place there in Job 42. That's our text for tonight, of course. But go with me just real quickly to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter 12. I'd like you to notice that the book ends with Job ending his life uh, on a high. And I, and, and I want you to know that that's how all of our lives could end. We could all end our life more blessed than how it began. In fact, I would say to you that it is more important to end well uh, than, than it is to start well. Now, obviously, you can't end without starting, but lots of people start in the Christian life or start in marriage or start in parenting or start in soul winning, start in whatever area, whatever endeavor they're trying to do, and they don't end well. And, and, and some people start well and end well badly. Others maybe don't start so well, but they end well. And that should be our goal. There's nothing you can do about the past, but you can end well. You can uh, press toward the mark. You can forget those things which are behind. And I will say this, Matthew 12, just by way of introduction, I want to show this to you. The Bible tells us about Job that he ended better than he began. The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. I will say this, the devil will leave you worse off than how he found you. Notice there in Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 43. The Bible says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. And of course, talking about somebody being possessed with a devil, an unclean spirit. The, the, spirit, the unclean spirit leaves them and then decides to come back. He finds them empty and swept and garnished. And of course, God's using an analogy here of, of the body as a, as a house. Look at verse 45. Then he goeth and taketh with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in, in and dwell there. Notice what the Bible says here, the last part of verse 45. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. It's interesting because the Bible says 
that the devil will leave you worst off. The last state of the man is worse than the first. But that's not what the Bible says about the Lord. The Bible says about the Lord with Job that he blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Go to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you would. In the Old Testament, if you have your place in Job, uh, just right after Job, you have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, look at verse 8. See, it's not just about Job, it could be said of all of us that we could end our lives better than how they began, that we could end better than how it started. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, look at verse 8, the Bible says this, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. See, the truth is, it's more important. Now look, you young people, we want you to start right. But I will say this, it's, it's more important how you end than how you start. You might have had a rough start, but you can end well. You can end right. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And that's what we see here in Job 42. The devil, by the way, the devil will leave you worse off. You go ahead and, and, and listen to the devil, listen to the world, decide you're going to take their counsel and their advice, and, and he, the last state of that man is worse than the first. He'll leave you off worse than when you started. But you get on the road with God, and you start walking with God, and he'll leave you better than he found you. The, the, the Lord bless the latter end of Job more than his beginning, because better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. So in this sermon tonight, as we finish up the book of Job, I'd like to give you Three thoughts from this passage, three truths regarding how to end your life more blessed than the beginning. I mean, isn't that what you want for your life? I know that's what I want for my life. I, I, even if you're highly blessed, I would imagine that uh, you would want to end better than you are right now. You'd want to end with the blessings of God upon your life. And what we see in this passage is we see Three steps, three thoughts, three ideas that, the, uh, that we see from Job in regards to how to end better, how to end with a more blessed life. Let me give them to you quickly, and we'll uh, finish up this book tonight. Uh, just just let, me, let me give you some review just real quickly uh, in regards to, to Job. Go, go back to Job chapter number 7, if you would, Job chapter 7, because what we find in this chapter is, is that God has been rebuking Job, right? Since chapter 38, God's been speaking, he's been asking all these questions, and he's been uh, uh, making all these statements towards Job. And what we're going to see is that Job repents in this chapter uh, in regards to what the Lord has spoken to him about. Now, sometimes that can be a little confusing because when we get to the end here in chapter 42, God says that Job was right, that Job had not sinned, that nothing that he did had actually uh, uh, nothing that had happened to him had been as a result of anything that he did or any sin in his life. So we understand that Job uh, was a perfect and an upright man. He walked in integrity. He didn't sin. However, there was something for Job to repent about, and we've talked about this. If you remember, Job never quit on God. He did not charge God foolishly. He won the, the bet, if we want to call it that. And, and, and he won the, the, the challenge from the devil to God that we saw in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. However, along the way, Job did criticize God and he did complain against God. Let me just show that to you or remind you of that. We saw it as we walked through the book of Job. Job chapter 7, look at verse 11. Job 7 and verse 11. Notice what the Bible says, Therefore I... And this is Job speaking. Therefore, I 
Job says, will not refrain my mouth. He says, I'm not going to stop myself. The word refrain means to hold back or to stop. He says, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. And of course, we know that Job had gone through some terrible trials. He lost everything. He lost 10 children. He had his wife turn on him and his friends turn on him. And, and, and he had gone through some difficult times. And he says, I'm not going to refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. Notice he says, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Job said, yes, I am complaining and I'm not going to stop. Now, let me just say this. And I want you to understand my heart in regards to Job. God is the one that rebukes Job. And God is the one that kind of gets in Job's face about this. And of course, God is God and God can do whatever he wants and God should do whatever he wants. Let me just say this. I'm not, personally, I'm not looking at Job and saying, oh, Job was this wicked sinner and, and this and that. Because here's the truth. If I went through what Job went through, there, there'd be a lot more. I probably would do a lot more than just complain. And, and I'm sure that many of you would do uh, the same. With that said... We have to acknowledge the fact that there were some things that Job did that were wrong. Again, he did not charge God foolishly. He didn't quit on God. He, he didn't prove the devil correct. Because what the devil said is that Job serves God for naught. And if you take everything away from, from Job, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll quit on you, God. He'll curse you to your face. Job never did that. Even when he lost everything, he still served God and he loved God. And he, and he continued. Uh, he didn't quit on God. But along the way, he did complain. And look, we often think that complaining is not a big deal, but it's a big enough deal for God to come down in a whirlwind and speak to Job about it. I mean, God's about to restore Job and, re and give him back twice as much, everything that he took from him, but God says, we got to deal with something, Job. I'm glad you passed the test. In fact, I knew you were going to pass the test because that, that's why I uh, even put you in the test, because I knew what was in your heart. But along the way, Job, you've been complaining. Along the way, Job, you've been criticizing. Along the way, Job, you've been uh, 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 trying to make these corrections and, and saying that it's not fair. And, and the problem, and what I want you to notice is that Job, throughout the book, though he's been right, and, and he has said some amazing things. I mean, he's made some great statements. But at the times when he made wrong statements or incorrect statements, it was because Job was focused on the why. His whole thing, Job didn't even care that he lost everything, uh, all the finances and all the money. He didn't mind that God was putting him through this. His big complaint was, I don't know why God is doing this. If God would just tell me why he's doing this, then I would be okay. That's what his complaint is. So when he says, I complain in the bitterness of my soul, he's, he's, he's focused on the why. You're there in Job chapter 7. Go, uh, flip over to Job chapter 9. Look at verse 17. Job chapter 9, verse 17. I want you to notice how he's focused on the why. Job 9, 17, the Bible says, For he, this is Job speaking about God, the he that is referring to God. He says, For he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds. Notice what Job says, without a cause. Job says, the problem that I have is not that God is breaking me with a tempest. The problem that I have is not that he multiplies my wounds without cause. The problem that I have is that God is doing it without a cause. I don't understand why God is doing what he is doing. This is Job's complaint. Look at verse 18. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. Job says, I'm, I'm very bitter about the way I'm being treated. Look at verse 19. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if of judgment... 
The word judgment there is referring to receiving justice, going into a courtroom, and having evidence brought forth. See, that's Job's complaint. Remember, his friends are saying, Job, this is happening to you because of some sin in your life, because of something that you've done. And Job says, no, I'm innocent. If, if I've done something wrong, then bring the evidence. Then, then, then show me what I've done wrong. And in verse 19, Job says, if I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if of judgment, he says, who shall set me a time to plead? He says, who's going to make an appointment for me to go uh, 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 and have a day in court with God? When do I get to subpoena God? When do I get to uh, sit God down uh, at the witness uh, uh, stand and, 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 and cross-examine God and ask him why? See, Job, when he did wrong, when he, when he uh, uh, complained and when he criticized and when he corrected God, it was because he was focused on the why. Look at verse Job 13 and verse 3. Job 13 and verse 3. Job 13 and verse 3 makes it very clear that this is what Job is focused on. He says, surely, Job 13 and verse 3, surely I would speak to the Almighty, he says, and I desire to reason with God. He said, I just want to have a talk with God. I want to sit down and logic with God. I want to reason these things out. What is he saying when he says, I desire to reason with God? Here's what he's saying. He says, I want to know the reason why. I want to know why God is doing this to me. I'll go back to Job 42. And I want you to look at verse number 6. And we're going to get ready to start walking through the chapter here in a minute. But I just want you to see this. In Job 42, in verse 6, this is what Job says. He says, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I want you to notice that the first thing we see that Job does, and I believe a secret to having a life that is more blessed at the end than the beginning, ending more blessed at the end than the beginning, is a willingness to repent. The first thing is we see Job's repentance. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. You say, how can I end up being more blessed at the end than the beginning? You must be willing to repent. You must be willing to change. You must be willing. And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not teaching you got to repent of your sins to be saved. That's not found in the Bible. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Salvation is not of works. You don't have to work for it. But let me tell you something. In the Christian life, once you get saved, God expects you to repent. God expects you. You say, well, how uh, can I repent? How does repentance come forth? See, repentance comes from getting the proper view of God. Look at Job 42 and verse 1. Remember, God just got done asking all these questions and giving all these thoughts about Leviathan and Behemoth, all these science things and things about creation and the creatures. And then the Bible says in verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Notice what he says. Job, Job just got schooled on God. He just got schooled on who God is and the majesty and the power of God. And Job, now remember, before he was asking, why, why? Let me just talk to God and I'll, 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 I'll fill my mouth with arguments, he says. I'm going to ask him all these questions. But now that he's gotten a good view at God, verse 2, he says, I know that thou canst do everything. Notice, we call that the omnipotence of God. The fact that God is all-powerful. After God, because remember, God just got done asking, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you 
Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Are you able to do this? Are you able to accomplish that? And Job says, I know that thou canst do everything. That's the omnipotence of God. Then he says, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. That's the omniscience of God. The idea is this. Job says to God, God, you can do everything and you know everything. I mean, Job just got a really good view at God. God just spoke to him from this whirlwind, and, and, and God asked him all these questions. Who are you, Job? And, and really, God is revealing himself to Job, and Job is now not focused on the why of his problems and the why of his trials and the why of his issues. Now he's focused on the who of his problems. The who that brought the trials. The who that allowed the tribulation into his life. And Job says, I know thou canst do everything, and that thou, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. He says, I know that you can do anything. I know that you know everything. He understood the omnipotence and the omniscience of God. And when Job understood that, he immediately understood something about himself. Look at verse 3. He says, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? He says, therefore have I uttered that I understood not. He said, God, I, I've said a lot of things, but I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't understand what I was saying. These things, uh, uh, things too wonderful for me. He says, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of me, and declare thou unto me. See, Job understood. He said, I, I've got to repent. You say, why, why do you have to repent? He, Job would say, here's why. Because God knows everything. God can do everything. And I've got control over, uh, uh, over very little. I don't control everything, and I don't know everything. I have uttered that which I understood not. He says, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. And here's, here's what I want you to understand. Job is getting a proper view of God. His focus was on the why, now it is on the who. His focus was on why is God doing this. Now his focus is on who God is. Who the God is that allowed these trials. Job now understands. The God that allowed my children to die, my finances to wither, my health to be destroyed, uh, all these things, that same God, He can do everything. He can do anything. He knows everything. Remember Job kept asking, does God even know? Does God even know what's happening to me? Does God know where I am? Now Job has a different view. He has a clear view of God. Job, was, Job has a proper view of God, and, and, and here's the point. When you get a proper view of God, you'll notice the proper response to God. All throughout the Bible, whenever anyone in the Bible gets the proper view of God, they always have the same response. Look at verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye, notice what Job says, mine eye seeth thee. Job says, I, I hear you, God. I hear you loud and clear. I see you, God. I see you loud and clear. Now, did, did Job literally see God? And the answer is no. The Bible says that God spoke to Job through a whirlwind. Job did not physically see God. Uh, he, he didn't see God. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. 
Job did not see God, but God appeared in this, in this whirlwind. Now, here's the interesting thought, something for you to consider. Remember, the, the biggest trial of Job was uh, he, he had a threefold trial. He had his finances, he had his health, and he had his children. Remember when his children died, and I would say that his children's death was probably the biggest of these trials. How did they die? They died by the fact that a whirlwind killed them. Then God shows up in a whirlwind. You know, it's interesting that oftentimes these trials come into our lives, these troubles come into our lives, and in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that storm, in the midst of that whirlwind, we will complain and criticize against God and we'll say, why God? Why God? And the truth is that God is actually trying to speak to you through the storm. The tornado, the whirlwind came and took his children and we might ask, why? And God said, I'm trying to speak to you through the whirlwind. Sometimes it is in the trial that we get the clearest view of God. Sometimes it is in the storm that we can say, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Sometimes it is in the midst of the tempest, in the midst of the whirlwind, that we can hear God most clearly, that we can say that we've seen God. And whenever you get a glimpse of God, and the glory of God, it will reveal you for who you are. Notice what Job says, verse 6. Wherefore, the word wherefore means for this reason. For what reason? Job says, because I have heard of thee, and mine eye have seen thee, uh, mine eye seeth thee. He says, because I've gotten a clear view of God. He says, wherefore I abhor myself and repent and dust and ashes. See, it is the proper view of God. It is the proper view of God that always brings a proper view of self. When we understand, when we understand who God is, it'll help us understand who we are. Go to Isaiah chapter 6, just real quick. Let me prove this to you or make this point. We'll move on. Isaiah chapter 6. You're there in Job, you have Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. See, you know what your problem is and my problem? You know what our problem is? Our problem is that we think a little too highly of ourselves. Is that true? I mean, nobody can tell us. Nobody can counsel us. Nobody can question us. Nobody can say, no, don't do that. No, don't go there. No, don't make that decision. Whenever somebody tells us, you know, do this, don't do that. Here's what the Bible says. We get ourselves into trouble when we say, oh, no, no, that's for everybody else, but not for me. I mean, look at me. Look how great I am. The problem in your life, the problems in your life, the reason that your life will end up not blessed but cursed all comes down to the improper view of self. And the improper view of self is a result of an improper view of God. Because if you get the right view of God, you'll get the right view of self. Everyone in the Bible who got a proper view of God all of a sudden got a proper view of self. I mean, we saw Job. Look, think about this. Job, the most upright man on earth, the most uh, the, uh, man filled with integrity. The Bible says he was perfect. He was mature. He, he was, I mean, he was the most uh, 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 right with God man on earth. And when he saw God, he said, I abhor myself. He said, I hate myself. I repent. And dust and ashes. Isaiah 6, are you there? Notice the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, Isaiah got a, a view of God. He got a glimpse of God. 
The Bible says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Isaiah says, I had a view of God. High, holy, and lifted up. He says, above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, the twain. He covered his face, and the twain. He covered his feet, and the twain. He did fly, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, notice the response. Isaiah says, I got a view of God. He said, I got a good look at God. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his train filled the temple. He said, I saw the glory of God. Notice, when he got a good view of God, he got a good view of self. Verse 5, then said I, woe is me! For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know why you think too highly of yourself? Why I think too highly of myself is because we have not got a proper view of God. Because if you saw God for who he was, you would say, woe is me. You would say, I abhor myself. You would say, I am undone. I don't have it put together. I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Go to Ezekiel. Let me give you another example. You're there in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1. Here's all I'm telling you is everybody, look, at I don't know, but if I had to guess, I would say that Job was more right with God than you and I. I don't know, but if I had to guess, I would say that the prophet Isaiah was more right with God than us. I don't know, but if I had to guess, I would say Ezekiel was more right with God than you and I. But I want you to notice when Ezekiel got a view of God, his response, Ezekiel 1 verse 28 as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, Ezekiel 1.28, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance, notice what he says, of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. I won't take the time to go through all of Ezekiel chapter 1, but Ezekiel chapter 1 is basically God opening up the sky and allowing Ezekiel to get a view into the throne room of God. And when Ezekiel gets that view, he saw the cherubims, he saw all these things, he said, the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He said, I, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Notice his response. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard the voice of one that spake. The response to a proper view of God is always Humility. It's always an acknowledgement of sin. It's always a willingness to repent. Go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Let me give you a New Testament example of this. Remember Peter? Peter met Jesus. Jesus said, can I get a ride on your boat? And Peter said, sure. Jesus said, can I give you some, ship, uh, some fishing advice? Some shipping advice? Some fishing advice? And Peter says, uh, I'm the professional here. Nevertheless, of thy word, whatever you say, I'll try it just out of respect. Remember, they brought a huge amount of fish in. 
And, and Peter realized that this Jesus was more than just a man. Luke 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Listen, every time you get the proper view of Jesus, every time you get the proper view of God, every time you finally open your eyes and realize that God knows better, that God knows everything, that God is omniscient, that God is omnipotent, all of a sudden we become very weak. And whenever you're proud and whenever you're arrogant and whenever you say, oh, I know that's what the Bible says, but I'm just going to do what I want anyway, it's because you've not got a proper view of God. No. Peter says, I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. Go back to Job chapter 42. You say, I want the end of my life to be better than the beginning. Well, you better learn to repent. You better get a proper view of God and begin to acknowledge when you're wrong. Begin to acknowledge when you've done wrong. Begin to acknowledge and be able to say, look, if Job, if Job, who's a hero of the book of Job, the whole point of the book of Job is how great Job is, and if the book ends with Job saying, I abhor myself and repent, then you and I can repent. Then you and I can get to the place where we would say, God, you know everything and I know nothing. I'm going to quit focusing on the why and I'm going to start focusing on the who. When you get a view of God as being high, holy, and lifted up, it'll help your view of self. See, Job got a proper view of God and as a result, he got a proper view of self. We see Job's repentance, but I want you to notice, secondly, this evening, not only do we see Job's repentance, I'd like you to notice we also see Job's reconciliation. See, Job did not only get a proper view of God, Job also got a proper view of others. Now, in verses 7 and 8 of Job 42, these are the verses that we've really been waiting for this whole time. Remember all those weeks and weeks and weeks we spent with Eliphaz and, and, and Bildad and, and all these different guys and Elihu, good night. All those weeks where they were just talking and, and, and attacking Job. Really, Job 7 and 8 are the verses we were just kind of waiting for and wishing for because in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 42, we get the vindication of Job. Notice what God says. Verse 7, and it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, so God says to Job, we've got to deal with some things. You've been complaining and criticizing. And Job says, I'm nothing. And after they took care of that, the Bible says, and it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. God just stated, everything you said was wrong, and everything Job said was right. Now, everything that his friends, every little detail was not exactly wrong, but what this teaches us is that when you add a little bit of lie to anything, it makes the whole thing a lie. That's why the NIV doesn't work. So, oh, there's not, not, not everything's corrupted in there. If anything's corrupted in it, then we don't need it. He said, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job had. Notice the vindication of Job, verse 8. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. 
For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that ye have not spoken of me the, the thing which is right, like my servant Job. And I'm sure, and maybe and not, and not Job, because Job just got done seeing the glory of God, and he's all humble and abhorring himself. But I'm sure if Job had not seen the glory of God and had heard these words without being brought face to face, if you in, in a way with the with the whirlwind and, and brought uh, uh, to to the place where he really saw God, I'm sure these verses would have made Job, you know, kind of stick his chest out a little bit. Because this is what he's been saying the whole time. He's been saying, "I'm innocent." This isn't as a result of my sin. I don't know why God is doing this, and that's what's the problem. He was focused on the why, but he says, I haven't done anything to deserve this. And now God steps in and says, and vindicates Job. He says, yeah, Job's right. You guys are wrong. You've not spoken right, as my servant Job had. You have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. We see the vindication of Job, but I want you to notice in the very next verse, we see the intercession of Job. Look at verse 9. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and so far the Neamathite, went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. Notice verse 10. And the Lord turned the, the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Let me ask you something. What would it take for you to pray for these friends? Remember, all his kids died. All his kids died. And they said, Job, you know why your kids died? Because of you, because of your sin. They, they said all these troubles, all these problems, they've, they've ridiculed him, they've mocked him, they've accused him, they've done all these things to Job. And then, and then God says, okay, I want Job to pray for you. In fact, if Job prays for you, if Job prays for you, I'll accept Job. I'll forgive you guys and let you off the hook. I won't deal with you according to your folly if Job prays for you. And Job prayed for them. But I would submit to you that Job didn't have to pray for them. Job could have said, Job could have said what I probably would have said is forget you. I don't, I hope, I hope God does everything to you that you said he, you know, that I deserved. I hate you guys. You guys are worthless friends. I mean, he said, your physicians have no value. I mean, he, he could have, Job could have said, I'm not going to pray for you. Look at how you've treated me. Look at what you've said. Look at these things that you've done. I think in some ways God is giving Job yet another test that Job passes again with flying colors because Job was asked by God to pray. He said he was asked by God to bring reconciliation, to reconcile his relationship and their relationship. Job said, hey, I am not going to deal with you according to your folly if you go and ask your friend Job to pray for you for everything you've done for Job. And I'll accept Job. Here's what's interesting. The story ends with Job, right? Restored. We're going to look at that in a minute. The story ends with Job having twice as much in his finances and his family and his blessing. His latter end is better than his beginning. But when did God do that? Look at verse 10 again closely. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when? When? When did God turn the captivity of Job? When he prayed for his 
friends. I would submit to you tonight that if Job had never prayed for his friends, God would have never turned the captivity of Job. God said, I'm, I'm going to, God in his mind, in his heart said, I'm going to turn the captivity of Job when he prays. Then God says, hey guys, go ask Job to pray for you. When he prayed, go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Let me ask you a question. What if God's forgiveness of you was hingent upon your forgiveness of someone else? What if God's restoration of you was hinging upon your willingness to restore others? What if God's blessing upon you was hindered by your lack of blessings for others? Because doesn't the Bible say, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that's hurt, that despise you, despitefully use you, pray for them that despitefully use you? I mean, isn't that what Job did? He loved his enemies. He blessed them that cursed him. They cursed him. He blessed them. They used him, despitefully accused him. He prayed for them. And it was when he prayed for them that God turned the captivity of Job. I'm not, look, here's what I'm telling you. Your relationship with God is dependent upon your relationship with others. Matthew 6, 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, Job... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, Job, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know when God restored Job? When Job restored his three friends. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Say, I want my life... I want my life to be blessed by God. I want my life to be blessed by the Lord. I want the end of my life. Go back to Job. I want the end of my life to be better than the beginning. Then listen to me. You must get past bitterness and anger and grudges. God says that while you're unwilling to forgive others, He won't forgive you. While you're unwilling to restore others, He won't restore you. While you're unwilling to help others, he won't help you. While you're unwilling to bless others, he won't bless you. And you say, yeah, but if you heard what they said, and if you heard how they treated me, if you understood the things they've done, I understand that, but the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his enemies, for his friends that had treated him wrong and done him wrong. Here's all I'm saying. You want to be blessed by God? You want the end to be better than the beginning? You need to learn to repent like Job did. You need to learn to reconcile like Job was reconciled. Now I want you to notice thirdly tonight, not only do we see Job's repentance and Job's reconciliation, not only do we see that Job had a proper view of God and that Job had a proper view of others, like you notice thirdly, we see Job's restoration. Job got a proper view of self. See, there's something that we discovered about Job while we spent the last 42 weeks going through the book. Something we discovered of Job was this, that Job spent his life helping others. Go to Job chapter 4, if you would. Let me show you this. We saw it together, of course, but that was 38 weeks ago or whatever, more than 38 weeks ago. Remember the very first speech by Eliphaz? The very first speech that Eliphaz gave? He started off by giving some sincere thoughts about Job. Remember what he said about Job? Job chapter 4, verse 3. Here's what Eliphaz said about Job. 
Now, later on in the chapter, he started attacking Job. But at the very beginning, he said, let me say, give some real things about Job, some true things about Job. Behold, he says, thou, this is the life I'm speaking about Job, to Job. Thou hast instructed many. Thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was falling. And thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. Those are some great things that Eliphaz said about Job. Eliphaz said, Job, you've uphold him, him that was falling. When others were falling, you helped them get up. When others were, were, were feeble, you gave them strength. When others had weak hands, thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thou hast instructed many. See, Job, Eliphaz even had to admit that Job had spent his life helping others. Go to Job 29. Job 29, look at verse 12. Not only does Eliphaz admit it in Job chapter 4, but, but Job himself brings us up in Job 29. And he's not lying. Remember, everything he said was right. Job 29 and verse 12, because, notice what Job says, because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help him. The blessings of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My judgment was a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind, and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and the cause which I knew not, I searched out. See, Job spent his life helping others. And you know what happens at the end of the book? Go back to Job 42. When Job spent his life helping others, loving others, caring for others, investing in others, you know what others do? They help him. They invest in him. They care for him. They love him. Job 42, verse 11, Then came there unto him all his brethren, and all his sisters, and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. When you love others and you help others and you invest yourself in others and you are there to strengthen their weak hands when they need it and instruct them when they need it, you help them from, you uphold in him that is falling and you strengthen the feeble. When you are eyes to the blind and feet to the lame, when you uh, are, are helping those that are ready to perish, when you give yourself over to others, you may find that others are willing to come in and help you along the way. It's funny because this, this, this kind of reminds me, and, and go with me real quickly if you would to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament, Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 16. This reminds me of a, of a ministry that we, that we use. Uh, I know many people in our church use it, and there's different kinds, but the one we use is called Samaritan Ministries, and this sermon is not being promoted by Samaritan Ministries. But it reminds me because it's like a healthcare sharing ministry where, where when you go to the hospital or whatever, then uh, you put out these shares and, and other Christians will help pay uh, and, and help you during that time. And that's how many of you are familiar with that concept. And that's how that works. That's kind of what's happening here. So all these people, not any one person just gave Job, you know, $10 billion, but they just helped him out a little bit. They gave him a piece of money and everyone an earring of gold. And with that community, they were able to 
do a lot to help Job. And really, this is what, this is what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 16. You remember the, the parable of the unjust steward? It's a parable that confuses a lot of people because God uses a villain as the, as, the, as the main character. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 5, the Bible says, So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, Remember the, the unjust steward? He was going to get fired because he wasn't very good at his job. And when he was told he was going to get fired, the Bible tells us here, Jesus gave this parable. He's, he called, this is the parable, he called every one of his Lord's debtors, not his debtors, his Lord's debtors, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. The guy owed his boss a hundred measures, and he said, hey, I'm about to get fired, but before I go, let's change the records, and let's just make it 50. Then said he to another, how much owest thou? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill. And he wrote four score. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of life. And oftentimes people get confused by the story, because they're like, I don't get it. He's like stealing money. It's not his money. It's the Lord's money. And I don't want to preach on this whole subject, and I've taught on this parable in the past, but let me just quickly give you the, 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 the spoiler alert. The spoiler alert is this, that we are to steward the finances that we, quote-unquote, have. We are to steward them as though they're not ours, because, spoiler alert, they're not. Everything you have belongs to God. Everything you have belongs to the Lord. Every ounce of you that has the ability to forgive someone only has that ability because you have been forgiven of God. So we should be willing to say, oh, you owe 100, make that 50. Are you sure it's not going to cost you? It's not really mine, it's the Lord's. Here's what he's saying. Be generous like it's somebody else's money. Give it away like it's somebody else's. Verse 9. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, Job, they may receive you into everlasting habitation. See, Job was very generous. In fact, he, 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 he was so generous, he almost acted like it wasn't his. And when he needed help, he spent his life helping others, and then others were willing to help him. Go back to Job 42. You want to end your life better than the beginning? You better get a proper view of God, which will lead to a proper view of self. It'll lead you to repent. It'll lead you to get right. Job says, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, uh, I didn't sin. I didn't do what they said. Yeah, but Job, you did something. You've, you're, you weren't sinless. You're not the Lord Jesus Christ. You complained and you criticized. And Job says, I, I'll get right. You better be willing to make reconciliation. You better be willing to forgive. You better be willing to pray and to bless and to help. Why? Because it is hypocritical that God has forgiven you of all your sin and not sent you to hell and won't send you to hell. And then we hold back on our forgiveness of others. And it was when Job prayed that the Lord turned the captivity of Job around. Then we see the restoration of Job. You want to end your life better than when it began? You better start loving people, investing in people, giving your life. Look, you need to make your life not about yourself and your own selfish ambitions and begin to, like the unjust steward, live like it's not yours. 
Give it away like it doesn't even belong to you because it doesn't. It's the Lord's. And we end the book with Job's blessings. Notice verse 12, Job 42, verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep. Now, you don't have to turn there. You can if you'd like to. But in Job chapter 1 and verse 3, we're given uh, uh, the portfolio of Job's uh, finances. And in Job chapter 1 and verse 3, we're told that his substance also was 7,000 sheep. So I want you to notice in Job chapter 1 and verse 3, Job had 7,000 sheep. In Job 42 and verse 12, he had 14,000 sheep. Now, remember, they, they came, everyone in the community came, and they gave him an earring, and they gave him a piece of money. And, of course, what Job did was he took that, that money, and he began to work. He went and bought some sheep and bought an ox and bought some camels, and he got back into working and into business, and the Lord began to bless him, and the Lord blessed the latter end of Job. So he started off with 7,000 sheep, and he ended up with 14,000 sheep. Look at verse 12, and 6,000 camels. Job 1.3 tells us he had 3,000 camels. So he started off with 3,000 camels, ended up with 6,000 camels. Verse 12 of chapter 42 says, and 1,000 yoke of oxen. Job chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us he had 500 yoke of oxen. He ended up with 1,000 yoke of oxen. Job chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us he had 500 she-asses. Job 42, 12 tells us he had 1,000 she-asses. I want you to notice that everything doubled. 7,000 sheep to 14,000 sheep. 3,000 camels to 6,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen to 1,000 yoke of oxen. 500 she-asses to 1,000 she-asses. God doubled the prosperity of Job. The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Not only did God bless and double him in his finances, he also blessed him with his family. Remember in Job chapter 1 and verse 2, we were told that there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. In Job 42 and verse 13, we are told that he had also seven sons and three daughters. Now, oftentimes people ask the question, they say, well, wait a minute. He started off with 14,000 sheep and then, excuse me, 7,000 sheep, then ended up with 14,000. 300 camels, ended up with 6,000, had 500 oxen, ended up with uh, 1,000 oxen, uh, had 500 she-asses, ended up with 1,000 she-asses. He had seven sons and three daughters. Why didn't he end up with 14 sons and, and six daughters? You know, they'll, they'll say God didn't double them, but I would submit to you that God did double them because when he had seven sons and three daughters and then God gave him another seven sons and three daughters, he never lost the first seven sons and three daughters. They were just in a better place. It just reminds us that when we lose somebody as believers, we don't ever really lose anybody when we're saved. They've just gone ahead of us, and we will see them again one day. So his children did double. He started with seven. He ended with 14. Just, he started with seven sons. He ended with 14 sons. Just seven of them were in heaven. He started with three daughters. He ended with six daughters. He got three more, and three of them were in heaven. God bless Job. It was 14. By the way, God blessed him financially, and God blessed him with his family. And we're told more about his family than we are his finances. Why? Because there's some things that are more important than money. Job 42, verse 14, and he called the name of the first Jemima. Apparently, Job was black. And, uh, you know, I don't know. And the name of the second was Keziah. And the name of the third was Karen Hapuk. And uh, the Bible says in verse 15, And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. He had the most beautiful girls. And their father, notice, 
The father gave them inheritance among their brethren. You know the Bible has never been degrading towards women? Never. People often try to say the Bible is degrading towards women. In the ancient world, I mean, Joe probably lived around the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when women had absolutely no rights. We're told that uh, Job gave his daughters an inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job 140 years. Now, we don't know this for sure. This is just my thought. It's just, just an opinion, and you can take it or leave it. But if we were to continue that double blessing, right? God doubled all his uh, cattle. God doubled his children. Uh, it, it may be that Job was 70 years old when all of these events in the book of Job happened to him, and he lived to be 140 uh, years, and God doubled his life and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. Then the Bible says this, So Job died, being old and full of days. Isn't this how you want to end your life? I think this is how we all want to end our lives. Blessed and in the Lord. You say, how do you do it? Repent regularly. How do you do it? Reconcile with others. How do you do it? Invest in others. Love others. Spend time with others. And you might see that they invest and love and spend time with you. So Job died being old and full of days. That's how the life of Job ends, and that's also how the book of Job ends. And I want to thank you for spending 42 weeks with me studying this book together. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this great book. It's a great man. It's a great life, Job. And, Lord, there was ups and downs. I mean, there were times when Job was just on fire, just saying all the right things. When I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And there was times when he was low. When he said, I will complain in bitterness and anguish. And it's so good because that's how the Christian life is. Sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down. Sometimes things are going well and sometimes they're not going well. But the truth is that better is the end of the thing than the beginning thereof. And we really can end better than we started. And there are people in this room that may, they may have had a rough start. They might have started life roughly. They might have started their Christian life roughly. They might have started their marriage roughly or their child-rearing roughly. They might have started uh, all sorts of things hard, but they don't have to end bad. They could end better. They could end blessed. Thank you for giving us these thoughts and these principles. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.